I had Joshua sing that song because we're going to be speaking, or I'm going to be speaking this morning on the triune God, the Trinity. And so that song talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because that is the Trinity. Take your Bibles and turn with us to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We'll read the entire chapter. There's 17 verses there, so follow in your Bibles as we read. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then they went, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and, all, and all, all the region round about Judea, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But the but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to, to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenching, quenchable fire. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, to, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the privilege to handle your word of God and to speak about this most important topic, and that is your Trinity. The fact that you are a triune God. And I pray that you give enablement, Lord, to bring the message Give, make our thoughts clear and understandable and help all of us to think together and then honor you and glorify you for who you are. And if there's a person here today who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, may today be the day they come to faith in him. And we'll thank you for what you accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we want to examine the scriptural teaching of the Trinity. It's a doctrine about... God that human intellect would never come up with on its own. An honest intellectual pursuit 
uses human logic, and there is no logical basis for the Trinity. Now, just what is the Trinity? What's the doctrine or the teaching of the Trinity? This is how it's, a, how it's presented in the Word of God. First of all, there is one God. Not two, three, but there is one God. Godly, God eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit is each God. And not a part of God, but each is considered God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is each a distinct person. And yet there is only one God. Now you put that in a logical context, trying to come up with it logically, and it does not work in your mind. And um, because of that, theologians have been for centuries trying to illustrate the Trinity. And I believe usually to no avail. Through the centuries, they've used such illustrations as this. Sometimes they'll use a, an egg, a chicken egg, and they will say the Trinity is like this egg. There's the shell, there's the yolk, and then there's a white, and the white of the egg, but it's all one egg. There's a problem with that, and that is the shell is not the egg. <laughs> the white is not the egg. The yolk is not the egg. It's a part of the egg. So that is not a picture of the Trinity. Another is used, has been used as the apple. And they'll say there's the skin of the apple or the peel, and then there's the meat of the apple, and then there are the seeds. But all of it is one apple. There's a problem with that. The peel is not the apple. <laughs> the meat of the apple that you eat is not the apple. The seed is not the apple. It takes all three of them to make the apple, and you can't say that one is, is the apple. So that breaks down. Another illustration is water. And they say the Trinity is like water. It appears in a frozen state. Those are ice cubes. In liquid states, that's the water that you drink. And then there's the gas, which is water vapor. All of them, each of them is water. And so they say that uh, that's the way God is. God appears in different aspects or different modes. But that's surely not true. That's called modalism. In other words, they're saying that God is one God and he just appears in different ways. But that's not a proper explanation of, of the Trinity either. That would be considered heresy. Another one is the triangle. And a triangle with all equal sides. And they would say the triangle is an illustration of the Trinity. One side is God the Father, one side is God the Son, and one side is God the Spirit, and all of them together make God. And they'll put God in the middle of the triangle, and they'll put those. But there's a problem with that. One side is not the triangle. <laughs> and this side's not the triangle, this side's not the triangle, and this side's not the triangle. It takes all three together to make the triangle. But that's not the way God presents the Trinity in the Scripture. The Bible says that Jesus is God. <laughs> not a part of God. Not a third of God. He is God. Many have denied the Trinity because of its conflict with human reasoning. And those who still claim to be Christians who deny the Trinity are called Unitarians. You've probably heard of Unitarians. Usually those are liberal church churches who accept the Unitarian position 
and that is they've denied the Trinity. It's best to humbly accept what God says and believe it, whether you understand it or not. Amen. You had the faith to believe God, whose ways and thoughts are high above your ways and your thoughts. In fact, that's what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 55. We read these words in verses 8 to 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You're just to believe what God says. You don't have to understand it. Many people are going to go to hell because they don't understand everything. Some people reject Jesus because they say, I just can't understand how one person dying on the cross 2,000 years ago would save a person here. And they deny it, and, they, and it doesn't fit their, their brain, so they just deny it. Well, they will go to hell because they deny that. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. The text we read this morning tells about John the Baptist. He was to prepare the way for Jesus by getting people to acknowledge their sin and repent. But before they could be ready to accept the coming one, who John said he was so, he was so righteous that he was not, he was not uh, qualified, not worthy to carry his shoes. And then another passage in the gospel, he says, I'm not worthy to unloose the latchet of his shoes. So John's saying he is holy. And their baptism by John was the outward way that they identified with the truth of John's message. And that is, a holy one is coming. This one I'm preparing the way for. I am not worthy to uh, handle his shoes. And I am a sinner, and you are a sinner. And everybody needs to repent, come to the realization of that, and humbly admit it to God and repent. And he told them to do that. And so when they were baptized, they acknowledged their sin. They desired to change so they could be ready for this coming one who was righteous and that is Jesus Christ. As John was baptizing, Jesus came to him. And Jesus said, baptize me. And John said, oh, no, no, no. You're the one that I'm preparing the way for. You're the righteous one. I, I, you need to baptize me, not me baptize you. And Jesus said, suffer to be so. You, you, allow, you go ahead and do what I told you to do. And then he explained it in verse 15. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. I think Jesus was saying, like is pictured from baptism, I'm a, the, the person identifies with your message that you're a sinner. So I'm going to identify with all of humanity that they're sinners, and I'm going to take their place. I believe also it might mean this. Jesus said, in such a manner I'll fulfill all righteousness, and that is I will do what's pictured in the baptism. I will die. I will be buried. I will rise again the third day. And so that's pictured. And so John uh, finally said, okay, he would baptize uh, Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, God gave us a picture of the Trinity. Because it says, the Spirit of God descended upon the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, a voice from heaven, that is God the Father, said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There is a picture of the Trinity. One God, eternally existing in three persons, and God the Father from heaven says, This Son 
This is my son. I am well pleased with him. And the Holy Spirit comes and descends, and that's the Trinity right there. Now, this morning, I want us to examine that teaching of the Trinity. We're going to consider the doctrine of the Trinity. Last week, we considered the personality of God. And so today, we're going to talk about the Trinity of God. How is it pictured? How is it taught in the Word of God? First of all, we need to understand. The Bible says clearly, without any, without any ambiguity at all, he says this, there is one God. There's not three, there's one God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In Isaiah chapter 44, it says in that passage, Isaiah 44, and uh, verse 6, let me read the, the verses to you. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the, Holy, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Verse 8, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. God's saying there is one God. Also in chapter 45, verse 5, he says this, uh, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. There is no God beside me. And then in verse 18, he says this, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, and God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is one God. Exodus chapter 22, verse 3, Therefore the Lord said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, because I am the only God. John 10, verse 30, Jesus said this, I and my Father are one. Not two, but I and my Father are one. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. Even the devils believe that. There is one God. They know that there is one God. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4, We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. So the clear teaching of Scripture is, there is one God. The next thing about the Trinity is that the plurality of persons in the Godhead is suggested in the Old Testament. Now, the Trinity is not taught clearly in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament, but it's suggested in the Old Testament. Let me give you some ways that that, is, that happens. It's suggested by the plural name for God. You see, there is a plural name for God. It's the name Elohim. And in the Hebrew language, it's plural. One God he has a plural name. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God, that's Elohim, created the heaven and the earth. The word Elohim appears in the Old Testament 2,570 times. It's a plural, na plural name is often used with singular verbs. So the plural name is used with a singular verb. So God uses a plural name, and we would say in English, no, if it's plural, it has to have a plural a verb. But God uses a plural name, Elohim, with a singular verb. Also, the plural name often appears together with a singular name for God. For example, Psalm 8, 88, verse 1 says, O Lord, and that's singular, God, 
Elohim is plural. O Lord God. And without any problem, the Lord uses the two together because there's a plurality of God, but there's only one God. And so plurality of persons, but one God. Also, plural pronouns pronouns are used for God and suggest the plurality of persons in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God's speaking. He says, let us. Who's he talking to? That's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit communicating. And he says, let us make man in our image. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us. God speaking, Behold, the man has become as one of us. They sinned, and they knew the difference between good and evil. And God said they'd become as one of us. In Genesis chapter 11, you remember the account, and uh, it's in it's Genesis chapter 11, and... Uh, Verses, verses 5 to 7. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the men had the men builded. That was the Tower of Babel. You remember they rebelled against God. God said, scatter all over the earth. And they said, no, we're going to stay right here and we're going to build a name for ourselves and build a tower that reaches up into heaven. And God says, I'm not going to allow that. And then he said this. And the Lord said, behold, the people are, is one. And they have all one language, and this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. God is talking. He says, let us go down. I believe that's the Trinity, the, uh, the plurality of God, three persons but one God. Also, the Bible tells us, in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, unto whom I said, I said, unto, no, it's Isaiah 6, 8. I remember now the context. You remember uh, in the year that King Jos- uh, Josiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and the, there was the angelic fi- figures there and saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah responded, says, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips, And the Lord said this, uh, he says to him, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? God speaking to Isaiah, he says, Who will I send, and who will go for us? I believe God, the Trinity, is speaking there. God's name applied to more than one person in the same text also suggests a plurality of persons. In Psalm 45, we find that. In Psalm 110, it says, And the Lord said unto my Lord, The Lord said unto my Lord. What's that? God the Father speaking to the God the sons, we find from Mark chapter 11. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies uh, thy footstool. So God speaking, he says, The Lord said to my Lord. And so there's a plurality there. And in Jeremiah chapter 23, the Lord said, I will raise a righteous branch, and I, I, the Lord, will raise a righteous branch. The Lord said, I will raise a righteous branch, and I will call him the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord is going to raise a righteous branch, and he's going to call him the Lord, our righteousness. 
And so there's the evidence of the plurality of God. So we see that in the Old Testament. And then we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the Trinity of God is presented uh, clearly. Each of the three persons is recognized as God. Let's go through the persons of the Trinity. You all know them. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is considered God. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 says, I thank thee, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So the Father is considered God. John 6, verse 27, Jesus was speaking. He says, God the Father. So the Father is God. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, There is but one God, the Father. So clearly, the Father is God. Also, the Son of God is called God. John chapter 1, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we find from verse 14, the Word is Jesus. Because it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And he says, he is God. So clearly, Jesus is God. In John chapter 20, verse 28, my Lord, Thomas, remember Thomas wasn't there the first time the Lord appeared, the second time he was, and Jesus says, reach hither your finger, <laughs> you know, you said you wouldn't believe until you touch those scars, those wounds, uh, come on, try it, and uh, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, he calls Jesus God, why? Because he is God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is God. Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 18, But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Unto the Son, God the Father says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So God the Father recognizes Jesus is God. God the Father is God. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. But also the Holy Spirit is considered, is referenced to as God. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, you remember the account of Ananias and Sapphira who lied and said they they sold a property for such amount and they were giving it all to the Lord and they didn't. They lied about how much they sold it for. They kept back part of the price and uh, nobody knew that except God. And by the way, God always knows. <laughs> you might think you've pulled the wool over somebody's eyes, but not over God. God knows all about it. And then uh, Peter said this. He said, Satan hath filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, that's the Holy Spirit. And the word ghost is the same as spirit, just translated different ways. It's, it's the word that's spirit. And it says, thou hast not lied to man, but unto God. So the Holy Spirit is God. And so each person of the Trinity is considered in the New Testament as God. Each person of the Godhead is clearly distinguished from the other two. And so there's a distinction between the, the persons of the Trinity as well. Back in our text in Matthew chapter 3, 
And it says very clearly in verses 16 and 17, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. So they, the, the persons are distinguished. The Spirit of God lights upon him, the Son of God, and a voice from heaven, which is the Father, said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. And so all three persons are there, and they're, they're not uh, mixed up. They're distinguished. They're different persons of the Godhead, and that's the way the Scripture presents it. Also, each person of the Godhead is clearly distinguished from the other two in other ways in the Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, speaking to Mary, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. So the Holy Ghost comes upon Mary, the power of the highest, God the Father, overshadowed thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. And each of them are distinguished. In John chapter 14, the Lord says the Father will send the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. And then, and, and then it speaks of Jesus. And so it talks about the Father, the Comforter, and Jesus. And each are distinct personalities. In John chapter 15, verse 26, it says this. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So the com Comforter comes from the Father, and the Comforter will testify of me. All persons are distinct, and yet all are considered God. And so the, the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly taught in the Scripture. Also, the three persons of the Godhead are set forth as one God and not three. And so it doesn't logically make sense, but it's the way God presents it. The Father and the Son are one. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. I and my Father are one. The Father and the Spirit are one. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? You're the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And so the Father and the Spirit are one. Son and the Spirit are one. Romans 8, verses, 8, verses 9 through 10. The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And then it says, and if Christ be in you. So the Spirit of God is in you and Christ be in you. And so they're set forth as one, not three. And so God says that it's, it's the Trinity. It's hard to understand, but must, we must believe it. The Son and the Spirit are one. And uh, we've seen that in Revelation, or Romans chapter 8. And then the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one. John 14 says it like this. The Comforter abide with you, and I will come to you, and my Father will love him. We will make our abode with him. So the Comforter will come with you to, to you. I will abide with you, and my Father and I we will make our abode with you. And so the Lord says there is one God, He's eternally existing in three persons. Now, all of those things are necessary for us to understand the teaching of the Trinity in the Bible. There's one God, eternally existing in three persons. The persons are not confused. They're distinct. And yet, all of them are considered God, called God, 
and yet there is one God. Now let's talk about, as we close today, some practical values of the Trinity. What are the practical values of the Trinity? I mean, why is this important? Well, it's important because God says it, first of all. God teaches that. And anything God teaches is important to us. Whether we understand it or not, it's important. Now, one thing we need to consider is this. God is love. And the question is sometimes raised, well, if God is love, how in the world could God, who is one God, express love before he ever made people to express love to? I mean, you know, there's one God, and there was never any other God, and yet when he created, he created man, he created this world, he created the, all the animals, all the creatures and everything, and, uh, and the Bible says God loved man, so how could God be loved before uh, anybody ever came to be loved? Well, the Trinity answers that question, and that is God the Father loved the Son in eternity past, and God the Father loved the Spirit in eternity past. John chapter 17, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, I want to show you some important truths there in verse 24. John 17, verse 24. Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer, and he says this, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. God loved the Son before the foundation of the world. Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and they love each person. Each person loves the other, and yet there's only one God. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, you loved me, and I want these people to have the same love. And so the Trinity illustrates for us how the Father can love the Son, and the Son can love the Spirit, and the Spirit can love the Father, and there's love in the Trinity. Now, Years ago, I heard some preaching that I didn't think sounded right, and I got to thinking about it and studying it, and I found out it wasn't right. I had heard a preacher say one time, he said, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. That means God loves us more than he loved his son. That doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> and it's not right. In fact, look at verse 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That's good enough for me. <laughs> I don't have to say God loves me more than his son just to know that God loves me as much as he loves his son. That's great. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might go through life sometimes thinking nobody loves you. I'll guarantee you there's somebody that loves you and wants to make you his child and he will love you with that everlasting love and he promises that he, lo he will love you as much as he loves his own son. That's a wonderful love to experience. We who know Christ as our Savior are eternally loved. 
It also helps us to understand our magnificent God. The Trinity helps us to understand how great God is. You see, the Bible says that Jesus declared God. The scripture says, No man has seen God at any time, but the Son of God, he hath declared him. So when God sent his Son to the mystery of the Trinity, God the Father sent his Son to this earth, and he became, he took upon himself human flesh, he became a man for us. When God did that, God was saying, I'm going to send my son down to this earth to show you some things about me. And so you watch Jesus as he lived, and we find he was a compassionate person, and he loved the down, down and outers. He loved those that other people didn't want anything to do with. He went out of his way to go to the, Samarit, the woman at the, at the well, the Samaritan woman that had been married five times and given up on marriage and was living a man, with a man who wasn't her husband. And, and Jesus loved her, and he sought her out. Then he was having a great time of teaching with the multitudes, and he said, I'm going to leave here. We're going to go across the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to go over to the land of Gadara. And there's somebody I want to see. He didn't tell the disciples that, but he's on his way there, and a storm comes up. I think the devil is trying to stop his journey. But he gets there, and, and there's one person he went to see. He was the maniac of Gadara demon-possessed. He was a wild man. He cut himself. They'd put chains on him, and he'd break those chains, and he lived in the tombs, and he went around naked. I mean, he was an awful example of humanity. And Jesus went to see him, cast out the demons, saved that man, and the Bible says he was clothed, sitting at his feet, at the feet of Jesus, and in his right mind, Jesus changed him completely. That's great. And then right after that, guess what Jesus did? He got in the ship, went across back over the sea. He went all that way, went through that storm to see that one man. You see, God loves you. God loves you enough that he wants to save you. And he wants you to be the recipient of his eternal love. And when Jesus came to this earth, he helped us understand how great God is. Verse, uh, John 1 verse 14 says, We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and he hath declared him. When you saw Jesus, when they saw Jesus, they saw something about what God is like because they watched God. In John 14, Philip saith unto him, Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet don't you know me? And he said this, he that has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, you want to know about God the Father? Look at me. I'm God. I declare to you what God is like, who God is. And so he, he said that in John 16. The spirit of truth will show you things to come, and he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. The spirit of God will show unto you the wonders of Jesus. And so the Bible says the Spirit of God works in our hearts. He convicts us of sin. He causes us to want to trust Jesus as our Savior. He brings us to the Lord. He introduces us to, the, to, to Jesus. We accept him as our Savior. And the Spirit of God then continues to teach us from the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit of God teaches the believer about God. So the purpose of the Trinity, one of the, or one of the uh, 
uh, illustrations of how good the Trinity is for us is to, to know that God uses the Trinity to express his, uh, who he is and lets us know who he is. And so the Son tells us about Jesus, the Spirit testifies of Jesus, and so all that's involved in the Trinity. But then the greatest is this, and that is Jesus came to die for our sins. And the Bible says that the, that the Son of God is, is, uh, is the one presented by the Lord to be our Savior. And the Trinity makes possible our salvation. You see, in order for us to be saved, the Trinity had to work together. The triune God worked together. So God the Father, God so loved the world that he gave his Son. God the Father sent his Son down to this earth to die for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. Isaiah 53 clearly presents that. And what happened there on the, on the cross of Calvary. And it says in Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Trinity made that possible. God the Father sent his Son to this earth and gave him a human body so that he could be a man and take our place. And on the cross of Calvary, God the Father put all of your sin on Jesus. All of yours, all of mine, what a load. But then you magnify that by everybody who ever lived and ever will live. God took the sins of the world and laid it on Jesus Christ. All that's possible because there is a triune God who sent his son to this earth. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 2, 24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. 1 Peter three eighteen, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so Jesus Christ took our sins. The mystery of the Trinity, so blessed to us, because God sent his son to die for our sins. The Bible says in Romans 5, 25, who, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Jesus did that. But what about the spirit? What about the spirit of God? The Bible says the spirit of the God is convicts your heart. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and God's starting to deal with you. And you're troubled about this and you realize, I'm not saved. I don't want to go to hell. Who's making you think that? The Spirit of God is. The Spirit of God is working in your heart. The Bible says in John 16, the comforter, that's the Spirit of God, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He will reprove the world. He will convict us. John 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can we be born again? The Spirit of God must work in our hearts and bring us to Jesus. You see, 
Somebody can present to you the gospel. That's our responsibility, to take the gospel to people. But only God can work in your heart. Only God can bring conviction. Only God can draw you to himself. And if God's doing that in your heart right now, you should be thankful for the Trinity. God the Father sent his Son, and then his Spirit testifies to you about his Son and convicts your heart and brings you to himself. Last week, we considered the personality of God and how it is important for us to know God. You will never know God until you first trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can't know God until you trust Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says something about Christians, individuals, and how we're to live, but it makes this statement, What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You see, you can never know God until God does work in your heart and cleanses you of all your sin and gives you his righteousness. Because what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? How can God, the holy God, have fellowship with you when you're a sinner? He can't. What, what communion hath light with darkness? We're in darkness as a sinner. How can we have any communion with God? We can't unless, first of all, we come to Jesus and he takes away our sin and then he gives us his righteousness and then righteousness can have fellowship with righteousness and you can have communion with God. You see, once we know, we know him in salvation, our knowledge of him will then begin to grow and increase. And today, if you know Jesus as your Savior, God's used his word to increase your knowledge so you know more about him. And when somebody says, what's this thing about the Trinity? Hopefully you can explain. Well, the Trinity is there is one God, only one. He eternally exists in three persons. And each person is God. Each person is distinct. Distinct. But there's still just one God. And somebody says, well, that doesn't make sense. And you smile and say, I know it doesn't. <laughs> But God's a lot wiser than I am, and God teaches that in his word, and I believe it. And I'm so glad that Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to die for our sins. You see, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with the Son of God? The triune God loved you so much that he, God the Father, sent the Son and then the Spirit works in your heart to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because God loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants you to be a child of God. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to be his own child that he's going to bless throughout all eternity. But you must accept him. I'd hate to be in the position of looking up to a holy God and saying, God, I don't like you. You've done bad things in my life. I've had a lot of bad things. And then realize God says, I know all that's caused by sin. But I love you. And I sent my son to die for you. I want you to be my, my child. Will you, bless, will you believe on the Lord today? Will you trust him as your savior? Tomorrow could be too late. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for helping us to understand and as much as we can, Lord, 
the doctrine of the Trinity. We still, after going through all this, have to say we don't understand it. But Lord, I thank you that we can say we believe it. And I thank you that so much that you as the triune God loved us and sent your son to die for us. And if someone's here today without Jesus, I pray today be the day they trust him as their personal savior, believing that he died for their sins on the cross of Calvary, paid the price for them, and then rose victorious from the grave as proof is all paid. And you want to be our savior. And Lord, I pray that that person might realize that and come to you in true repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry I'm a sinner, but I want Jesus, and I want to live for him. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.